Hi there. Welcome to Lake Ridge Community Church Podcast. Uh, this is a place where we get to share uh, some of our messages from Sunday mornings. Uh, we're glad that you're here to listen, but we'd also love to have you in person. So if you'd like to pop in some Sunday, we meet at 1030 at Our Lady of Wisdom School here in Chestermere. And uh, you can obviously check us out as well at uh, www. Again, that don't talk about sin, that don't talk about broken things. But we fail 
to see that what God is doing every time he's talking about something that's broken in the culture, broken in people, way people are hurting each other, is that God is in the business of first pointing it out and then turning it upside down and doing something about it. And if we miss this, then we miss something very crucial, the good work that God is doing in us. And as we'll see today, the Holy Spirit's work of convicting us of sin is not the long walk of shame that we think it is. We think this is what God's going to do. Take us on the long walk of shame. So this is good news, because that's not what the Holy Spirit's doing in us. It's God's work to remind us that we are not our sin, but the beloved creation of God. So talking about sin may in fact be the best thing the Holy Spirit can do to us and do in us to help us see how beloved we are. Are you tracking along with, with the logic that I'm laying down here? Okay, a story. A guy named St. Augustine, or Augustine of Hippo, he lived 1,600 years ago in a Roman outpost in what is now Algeria in northern Africa, which was kind of a happening metropolis in the Roman Empire. And he became one of the leading voices in the early church to talk about how potent God's love for us is. But, and he led this church in a really hard time. He led it during plague. Sound familiar? <laughs> he led it during times of war, during times of suffering, when enemies were at the gate. And he helped God's people keep a focus on who Jesus was. But long before he became a pastor, he wanted nothing to do with God. God was so far off of his radar until later in life when he realized that God had been working in him all the time. And so he looked back and he recalled in his 40s, he wrote a book called The Confessions of St. Augustine, uh, which is not him confessing sin like we might think about, but it's him talking about his journey of faith and how God's been with him all the way along. And his experience of God began, get this, with a pear tree. And something he did when he was a teenager with this stupid pear tree. And he did something that he would look back and say, that was a moment that God met me and he didn't even know it. Here's the story from an article uh, about this moment. It goes like this. It is well known that St. Augustine ran with a sketchy crowd of teens. Their name was something like the Destructors. One night after the gang had finished playing sports in the street of the neighborhood, their attention turned to a pear tree that was heavy with ripe fruit. The tree did not belong to any other of the families, but it grew on a plot adjacent to that of Augustine's family. The boys did not find any of the pears tempting uh, in their color or flavor. Nevertheless, they wanted to steal them. So they went to the base of the tree and shook down the ripe pears, and Augustine relates, he says this, We carried off a huge load of pears, not to eat ourselves, but to dump out to the hogs. After barely tasting some of them ourselves, doing this pleased all of us more because it was forbidden. Such was my heart, O God. Such was my heart, which thou didst pity, even in the bottomless pit. Behold, now let my heart confess to thee uh, what it was seeking there. When I was being gratuitously wanton, having no indulgence or inducement to evil, but the evil itself. So here he is, writing in his mid-40s, Augustine looked back on his theft and was struck by the fact that he didn't even want these pears. He explains it this way. He says, it was foul and I loved it. I loved my own undoing. I loved my error, not that for which I erred, but the error itself. A depraved soul falling away from security in thee to destruction in itself, seeking nothing 
from the shameful deed, but shame itself. The story has been chosen by many more recent critics as a prime example of Catholic guilt, (laughs) of attaching an unnecessary amount of self-punishment over a tiny error. But St. Augustine, he doesn't appear to be infatuated with the idea of punishing himself in these passages. He begins from a place of wonder and fascination, a self-astonishment that many of us share. So here's Augustine. So he stole stole pears, whatever. (laughs) Not really a big deal, actually. He'll probably steal some pears. It's, it's, It's a small thing, something you might get a slap on the hand for. But he sees this moment later, and he feels like it's in this moment that he met God. God's spirit did not make him feel shameful for it, but something else. He felt convicted. He knew what he did was wrong, and we actually know that St. Augustine did much, much worse in his life than stealing pears. He writes a lot about it, but he says that it was this little act that acted as a doorway for the Holy Spirit to tell Augustine something about who he was. So, this is, I think, the three steps that God convicts us in, and they're pretty cool because they lay out in some cool ways. For Augustine, it was this. He realized he did a foul thing. It, like, emerged in his heart that he was like, I stole some pears. I did not think about this story for a long time, but now I'm thinking about it. And what does that mean? <laughs> He's looking back on his life, and pear story like is like a bright, shining light. He realizes he stole some dang pears. Who cares? But he did a foul thing. And then he realizes, number two, that it came from a place of insecurity. He says, it came from a place away from security in thee. He realizes that what he did was rooted in his identity as somebody who was insecure, away from God. And finally, he goes on to see how God is drawing close to him. So you see, the Holy Spirit's conviction showed him that he did something wrong. Showed him what his identity is really about, and then found a way to heal him and move him in the right direction. So what's happening here? Well, Jesus says that he would send his Holy Spirit to comfort, to guide, to advocate, to come alongside. We've talked a lot about this a lot. And to convict the world of sin. Usually that makes us turn that page right away. And go, I don't like that part. I like everything about the Holy Spirit except this. John 16, 8. Jesus says this, when he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. And if you're like me, sometimes you skip over that part. (laughs) You don't like to hear of God who's convicting the world of sin. I hate to be found out. Anybody here hate to be found out? Okay, everybody put their hand up. What what do you hate to be found out about? What, what, What is it? What is it exactly? Yeah. It's revealing. It's sorrowful. I don't want... I like my identity to be somebody who isn't doing bad things. And so when, I, when somebody finds out that I've done something selfish, I like, what do I do? I shrink in shame. It's not conviction, it's shame. Shame, according to Tristan and Jonathan Collins in their book about emotions, to them, it is a light on the dashboard that blinks when our identity is threatened. We have a check engine light on our car right at the moment. It's been there for a long time. I should probably do something about it, but it blinks, right? Shame is a check engine light on the dashboard, they say. It says there's something about your identity that is currently being threatened, and you will cover it up. I went to look on how to fix this little light problem, and there was a YouTube video of somebody who just puts a piece of tape over it, right? Just put some black tape over it, problem gone, right? 
Shame does this to us. Guilt, guilt is different. Guilt tells us we've done a bad thing, but shame tells us that we are bad. Shame does a number on us. When we're found out, uh, when we are found out and live in an identity apart from who God says we are, namely that we're beloved, then shame blinks violently in our hearts. It leads us to hide. It leads us to blame. It leads us to isolate. It leads to put on a mask of pride. And then we turn around and then guess what? We use shame to shame others as a great tool to keep them in check too. You see how shame is a really terrible thing. And so when we hear that God is convicting the world of sin, we think God's about to use the great tool of shame on the world. Shame does not work. Shame does not heal anything. Shame is evil. And our sin in a broken world is not dealt with by... um, A broken world dealing with sin is not healed by shame. So the Holy Spirit does not shame our sin. No, the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. Here's another way to look at it. I'm going to overstate this story a little bit, but you'll maybe hear what I'm saying. When Ivy goes to bed at night, sometimes she does not do this well. If you were in the Puto home, you would get to observe our nightly routine, and often my dear daughter Ivy is at the heartbeat of things not going well. She does not like to go to bed well at night. She will not listen. Sometimes when we're like, hey, go to your room and get your jammies on, what will we find her doing? She'll be playing with toys. She'll be doing something else. Then she, when we point it out, this stuff, then she will cry, she will argue. Sometimes she'll treat her sister poorly, maybe she'll treat me poorly. Parents, if you're a parent, you know how this rhythm goes sometimes, right? She's having a meltdown late at night. Well, there are three things I do with what she's going through. First, I say, hey, hun, this is wrong. You aren't going to bed. You need to go to bed. You are not acting well. And I tell her this. I say, you are tired. This is what's true about you. You are tired. And I let her know the source of her sadness and anger. She's an overtired little girl. I say, honey, you're tired. And then I say this. I tell her what she needs. You need to go to bed. (laughs) You're tired and you need to go to bed. We're going to get you to bed. But I don't walk away at this point. I lean in. I step in to help. I help her get a snack. I help her go pee. I help brush her teeth. I help put on her jammies. I help find her stuffy. Then I lift her into bed and I get really close and I tell her she is loved and I pray for her and I sing with her and soon she is asleep. I label what's wrong. I tell her what she needs and then I help her find it. Now in the morning she might have to go around and apologize and we've had that too where she has to now go around and say sorry I did that thing. If she wrecked her room and it's a mess, she has to clean it up. So there's stuff that she has to to do. But notice what we did not do, hopefully. Notice that we did not make her go on the long walk of shame. It's not what a parent does. This is perhaps the best image that I can think of of what the Holy Spirit's conviction of our sin does. God makes us aware of our behaviors that are damaging to us and others and reveals them to us. Then God reminds us who we are, who Jesus is, what we need, and then God provides for us comforting, teaching, and making a way out of our stuck place so that we can respond to God. Jesus already did everything that needs to be covered. I already had the jammies and the snack and the bed ready. God covered us. So God does not need to shame us to repair us. Because Jesus has done everything for our sin, shame is not a tool that needs to be used all of a sudden. We're free of it. The other shoe is not going to drop. 
because the tool of shame just doesn't work. Not a shame walk, but a nearness of God's Holy Spirit that comes so close that dwells inside of us, we talked about, and restores our identity as the beloved. You see how this works? This is how our sin is healed. So that's why we can confess our sins like David did in Psalm 51. We can confess because we are not led on a shame walk. Instead, we are agreeing with God and saying, yes, I'm overtired. Yes, I'm mad. Yes, I'm angry. Yes, I'm fearful. Yes, I'm selfish. Yes, I did things that hurt me and others. And we can have a little fit and then fall into the arms of love. We can confess our sin that we wrecked something. And we can agree with the Holy Spirit who reminds us that we have a new identity. We are not lost kids who are orphans from God all alone fighting to cover up our sin, but we are at home with God. Because we are safe, we can say we did something wrong. And that's not going to change our identity. So in our confession, we fall into God's love, and we are reminded that Jesus has our back, that we are covered. If we feel alienated, caught, or shameful, guess what? Jesus found us, meets us, and takes our sin on himself for our sake. Then, as though that was not enough, God's Spirit then comforts us, renews our broken spirit, mends our wounds, makes us right with God and others, frees us, and empowers us to be with His own Spirit, to step boldly into the world, to join right alongside Him, fully participating in the life of God. And with God, we can, com- we can even repair what we broke and seek to mend relationships with others. This is the good news of the Gospel. Why would I hide talking about sin when I know that it sets off a domino effect towards healing everything that is broken in us, outside of us, and around us. (laughs) It is the beginning of it all, is to confess. So Psalm 51, Taylor read the beginning of it well, and we're going to read the uh, part of the end of it and see what happens. David's confessing in Psalm 51. So uh, do you think we could put that up on the screen we got? There we go. So David confesses and says, and we read some of the confession there, right? We read, God beginning. Have mercy on me, God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion. Blot out the stains of my sin. You might skip over Psalm 51 and go, oh, sin stuff. I don't want to read one of those. Good old guilt, shame, fear. But you got to read a little bit further because this is what happens. This is what David says after he is convicted of sin. And then something happens inside and this is what he writes. Purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You've broken me, now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sin. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence. And don't take your Holy Spirit from me. But restore to me the joy of your salvation. And make me willing to obey you. Isn't that beautiful? This is good news. That began with the Holy Spirit convicting us of sin. It leads us to life. For Augustine of Hippo, he experienced the joy of being free of shame, and that led to thousands of early followers to walk with Jesus as people freed and alive. For me and Ivy, it leads to my daughter going from a mad, overtired, wild child to a sound sleeper who whispers to me. Guess what she whispers? She goes, thank you, Daddy, I love you. As I kiss her, good night. I didn't shame her. I just said, you're an overtired, grumpy little kid right now. And can I just point out that we need to change this? Just for your good sake and mine, because I can go crazy too. 
God cannot bear to allow the sin to keep you away from your true identity as the beloved. And the Holy Spirit will convict you of sin because he loves you more than you know. But the Holy Spirit is gentle. This is really important. The Holy Spirit is gentle and needs you to listen. Augustine's pear tree story was not of a world-ending great sin, but that's just the point, isn't it? That God used this little story from his childhood to get into his heart. The Spirit will speak tenderly in a way that draws us home. And God makes every makes a way for us to follow and find safety again as we consciously depend on the Spirit and his word. I wonder if you could grab your little cup here. Our little communion cup. Pandemic communion. It's hilarious to me still. Jesus' death and resurrection is a big part of why we can be convicted of sin and fall into the arms of love. This all only works because Jesus took the sin, took our sin on himself. Jesus did something so profound because he took the cost of our sin on himself. And in a small way, I also cover for my daughter by having everything she needs to be saved. Well, Jesus covers us all the more. Covers us now and covers us into eternity. He took our sin and he paid the cost for it and gave us a clean slate and does so forevermore. This is why Jesus' disciples were told to remember his death and resurrection in the act of communion. Even the word itself, communion, it's a coming together, isn't it? It was forever a reminder that their sin was covered, that his disciples could come out of hiding, that they could participate fully at the Father's table as part of the family, and that their sin was not held over them anymore. Instead, it was nailed to a cross, and they are free. Did you know the grace, the costly grace of God, paid for by Jesus, did you know it was so, so costly? The cost was so high that guess what? You don't have to pay it anymore. (laughs) You do not have to pay the cost of shame anymore. In fact, you can confess. Imagine being in a relationship with somebody, a spouse, a friend, where you could say, man, I screwed up. Not walking the walk of shame, but saying, man, I was really stupid in that, wasn't I? Kelly helps me a lot to be able to confess to things. She makes me confess to things all the time. Joking. That's a that's 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 a marriage joke right there. So. so we are going to share this together. I'm going to read some of the words from uh, Corinthians that, and uh, we're going to share this. You can just if you've not done this before, there's a little like top thing you rip off, and there's a little uh, wafer there, and then below it is the is the juice, and you can rip that off. But this is how it goes. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus he took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. And he broke it in pieces. So this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Same way he took the cup of wine after supper, saying this cup is a new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Friends, I hope what God has whispered into your heart, even this journey of convicting you of sin, I hope that you would reflect on your own story 
And as we worship, uh, Colin's going to lead us in a couple songs. And as we worship, I hope that you would attend to what God's speaking into your heart. And if you feel the nudge of shame, that is not the Holy Spirit. But if you feel conviction that your story is tied to God's tender love, and that he is taking something that you did, something you broke, some great sin or small sin in your life, and he's taking and he's saying, I want to I free you of that. I want to show you a way through your sin. Because I've made a way that that doesn't have to sit on you anymore. And I've made a way that you are now free of having to carry that. And I've made a way that actually that identity of, of your sin can be, can be pushed aside and put on the cross. Because now your identity is this. You're beloved. You are beloved. And that changes everything. Let's join in worship and reflection. Thanks, Paul. Come out of darkness, wherever you've been. Come broken hearted, let rescue begin. Come find your mercy, oh sinner, come near. Earth has no sorrow. Earth has no sorrow, but heaven can be. Lay down your burdens, lay down your Lay down your 
Stand together for this last song.
Friends, we began this journey in 1 John as we began to explore what it is to be beloved. So it's fitting for us to end here as I offer the benediction. Listen to these words. My dear children, I am writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and grant you his peace as you go, absolved of sin and free to live in his world. Go Go in peace, my friends. You are forgiven. Amen? Have a good week. Look forward to the youth next week joining us, leading us. It's exciting. Thanks, everyone. Uh, and if you could help us just stack a couple chairs, that would be awesome, too.